0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the 2019 offseason roundtable. This is episode number eight. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet 1. And I am joined by a very special guest. Not only is he the lead host on one of our podcasts here on Turn on the Jets Digital, which is, of course, the great There's Always Next Year with Travis Milton and Josh Conrad, but he's also the godfather of Jets blogs and Jets podcasts. He ran the Jetsblog.com and also the Jets blog podcast with our friend Corey Griffin. I'm so happy to have him here to share his thoughts on what the Jets should do in the 2019 offseason. Mr. Brian Bassett. Brian, what's going on, man?
0: I am doing well. I'm enjoying a sunny day before a snow apocalypse here here in Virginia. We, you know, anytime we get a dusting in the in the state of Virginia, the state of emergency, shut everything down, kids out of school for 4 days. So, you know, we are we are, uh, you know, stocking up bread and milk and eggs uh, in the uh, in the you know because we might get a dusting of snow.
1: Meanwhile, here in the New York New Jersey area, we get ten inches of snow and we're expected to be at work <laughs> on time. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yes, I, I do remember that fondly as a child. You know, waking up, and, oh, it snowed like we're de- we're definitely not going to school. Oh, uh, we're we're going to school. We're going to, go to school today. So yeah, uh I, I wish you the best. I hope that you you don't have to go to work tomorrow, but more than likely you will go to work tomorrow. And I work at a company where everybody works remotely, so uh, so I'm going to work whether or not my children are home and, you know, barging into my office that that, <laughs> that, that 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 often does happen during conference calls, especially it's great when you're on a video conference call with a potential client and, uh, and your children just come slamming into your office and you're just like, uh, I'm sorry, that's my insane children. Sorry, apologies.
1: I feel like we need to make a viral video of this. We can right, get a couple yeah. hundred thousand views for this, I think.
0: <laughs> get the uh get the uh get that little uh get my like my youngest, my five year old girl like walking in like bushwhacker or something. <laughs> you know, or maybe my two girls walking in like the bushwhackers like that girl did on the uh yeah, what was that? Like some English? oh man that was so good i gotta go find that now
1: as long as it's not mike mccagnon busting through the door with a bocciato in his hands i think you'll be all right (laughs) and that's what he's probably going to be drinking brian as he attempts to remake this team so let's talk about him a little bit he stays adam Gase comes in i know you talked about this a little bit on there's always next year but if you could elaborate what are your thoughts on mccagnon staying and the jets hiring adam Gase as the new head coach
0: uh, you know, I I think I've I've had a month or so to to mellow on this. At the same time, I I'm not a fan of what has transpired since since the season ended. I think we can all agree Todd Bowles was not the right coach for this team going forward. Um, I think Adam Gase, I don't know, he he might surprise me. But for a variety of reasons, I, I just I'm I'm doubtful, and and I, I I hope to be proven wrong. The one thing I will say is like I hope that Adam Gase in now his uh what do you say like post hype his post hype role with the Jets will actually you know, have a, have a good, have a good outing. I think the, the biggest thing wh- when I think about him is like when he went to the dolphins, it was, Oh my goodness. You know, he's this offensive genius. I mean, and we see this, like how many times do we have to have the media fool us in this way where it was, it was Adam Gase. And then it was, uh, you know, Cal Shanahan and Sean McVay. And I'm, I'm not saying those guys aren't all excellent coaches. I'm just saying like, I am not going to hang my hope. On a team, on who the coach is. Like as far as I see it, the coach is essentially like a net neutral. Uh, they can ha- they can help coaches like a Bill Belichick or a Sean McVay, uh, but often they tend to get you know wildly overrated. Um, but at a minimum, what I would hope a coach does is that they are not hampering a team, that they're not um, let's say interfering with the talent on the team. To me, it's all about the talent on the team. Um, I, I think Cleveland is, is proving that I, I keep going back to them in my, in my talks. I just, you look at the talent on the offense, you look at the talent on the defense and you say, okay, I can see why this is happening. And that's, you know, largely thanks to guys like Paul D Podesta, uh, who have, you know, come in there and changed the, the talent culture. So when I think about Mike McCagnon, I don't think about Paul D Podesta and Sashi Brown, like the way in which they've approached things. Um, you know, say what you want about signing Kareem Brown, uh, Kareem Hunt, excuse me, to uh, to the to the Browns. Like that puts them in a position of strength. They already have Nick Chubb. They already have Duke Johnson. They sign Kareem Hunt for a million dollars, essentially because they know that he's a luxury and they can flip him for a fourth round pick when he comes through his suspension or something like that, right? Like for a million bucks, they're they're basically paying for a fourth round pick. I, I think it's brilliant. And that's the kind of stuff that I would hope that our, our, uh, our GM does. But what I, to just kind of bring this home, you know, what I see is I, I'm, I'm fearful of, of where we go from here. We have a lot of opportunity in the coming weeks with a high draft pick in the first round and a ton of free agency dollars. We're going to see if Mike McCagnon is, is worth the GM chair or not very soon.
1: Brian, when you were doing the show on There's Always Next Year, right after the Gase hiring, you mentioned Mm -hmm. something about the Peter Principle, which I thought was very interesting in the context of Gase and even McCagnin a little bit. If you could Mm -hmm. explain the Peter Principle and explain how you think it applies to Gase and McCagnin.
0: Yeah, so the Peter Principle, I'm going to look up the name of the guy, but his last name is Peter. I think he was like a... He was a economist. Uh, He was, uh, uh, doesn't Lawrence J. Peter. So he was kind of a management consultant and economist type guy. And so he has this idea that in hierarchical systems, uh, yeah, he's a Canadian educator. Uh, In hierarchical systems, basically people rise to the level of their incompetence. So we could go back and look at I mean, you could look at wherever you work and you can probably see it. You can, if you've been in the military, you absolutely see it. Um, Not to say that our military isn't the greatest in the world. It is, but sometimes people, you know, get pushed up uh, and then they're, they're not really suited for this rank. And then in NFL organizations, you see it too, where you might have a great defensive coordinator, one of the best schematic defensive coordinators or best position coaches, and that person... Because, let's say, because they're a great offensive coordinator or a great defensive coordinator, they're then, well, the next step up is obviously coach. Problem is, skills are widely different. You're more worried about management of team, delegation. I mean, I'm sure talking with, with Travis, you know, he'll tell you, like, he's not in the kitchen chopping up potatoes. Uh, he has to delegate that and say, this is the way potatoes are chopped. I'm expecting you to do this. I'm going to go over here and do a lot of press so we can get people in the, in the restaurant or whatever, or, you know, I'm going to manage these 10 other people, but you've got to be chopping potatoes the right way while I'm over there. And so, so that's what, that's where it breaks down, right? And I see, you see that big breakdown between coordinatorship and head coach. And we saw that with Rex Ryan. It worked for a while, but ultimately, You know, as the talent faded and his, you know, bluster faded, that's why he is now an ESPN analyst, right? Because he doesn't want to be a defensive coordinator, I guess, is basically what it boils down to.
2: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill.
1: It's like I always say, coming from the radio business, just because somebody is a really good on-air talent doesn't mean he's going to be a good manager of other on-air right. talents, right?
0: Absolutely. That's right. And, they, and you see that in sales organizations all the time. The best sellers, they make sales managers, and that is not a skill set. Uh, you know uh, it, That doesn't transfer always. That sometimes the best sellers are lone wolves. They want to go out. They want to you know make the kill. And they'll they'll bring the kill back. But don't ask them to manage six people and tell them how they did it. Right. Like, it's kind of like making Michael Jordan a coach. Right. That's the worst thing you could do. Like, uh, you know, be me. Like, that, that's that's yeah, that's his coaching stuff. Right. Like, doesn't work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if you want to talk about sales jobs, by the way, the Jets are going to have plenty of selling to do here in mm-hmm. this offseason, whether it's mm-hmm. free agency or the draft. So we'll get to the draft later, but we'll start with free agency. Mike McCannan is going to have to add talent here, and we'll talk about Le'Veon Bell afterwards. But first, besides Le'Veon Bell, who do you think Mike McCannan should be out there trying to sell on becoming a New York Jet?
0: I think when we look at this team as you know, we're told they're transitioning to a four-three, right? Which is ostensibly not that big of a deal. Um, you know, in some cases, you can move your ends to you know uh, outside linebackers to ends and and vice versa. You know, we we saw that a little bit you know over the last ten or fifteen years where, where the Jets have been able to do that with varying levels of success. Like, I mean, I don't really know how I feel about Trey Flowers in specific from the Patriots, but you know, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, you know, Brandon Graham, maybe you know, there there's players that are out there that I think could be a help to this team. So I would love to see them you go after some of those type players because when you look at the draft and the way everything's mocking right now, I mean, it looks like, you know, the two ends are going to come off the board ahead of the jets, right? You're going to get Bosa and uh, Josh Allen. Um, you know, those guys are coming off the board ahead of the jets. And the last thing that I want when it comes to the draft is a defensive tackle. And we can get to that in, in a second, but, um, but i would i would certainly think i would love to see them going after defensive ends for me if i'm trying to spend my money in this year i'm spending it on offensive line specifically tackles i think every position on that offensive line you know there's, there there's some players that are fine replacement level like but there's no great players on that jets offensive line and so i would be happy to see them upgrade at any and all positions specifically the tackle positions right because uh, and guard uh, because you know those are the positions that are going to allow sam darnold to have the most time to get rid of the ball uh, so you know while i would love them to have a levy on bell uh, While I would love them to trade for, you know, a crazy Antonio Brown, uh, while I would love them to trade for Odell Beckham, like none of those things are going to happen. Right. So let's focus on what can happen. And what can happen is quickly picking up offensive tackles um, and then figuring out what to do with the rest of that money and, or, and defensive ends uh and then figure out what to do with the rest of the money. Uh, what do you think? Me
1: personally, I think that a lot of what you said makes sense. You just got to get an infusion of talent and you've got to get players at the positions where you're especially the weakest. I don't really know if they're going to be able to get any tackles because it doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot in that area available in free agency, but I do think that they should scour everywhere and see if maybe even there's a guy that's a backup or something that they like that might be underutilized. And I think that's a lot of what free agency is for, Brian, is finding guys that were underutilized in other places because the guys that are really, really good, with a few exceptions, and we're going to get to one of those exceptions in a second, tend to be locked up. So... Generally, you're looking at guys that are past their prime or have had injury issues or there's somebody that may have been underutilized and you're trying to find hidden gems.
0: Well, let's just go. I want to go through some of the offensive. uh, I mean, and a lot of these guys, right, they could be locked up by their by their current teams or they could be, um, you know, franchised. But like I'm just going through like Pete Prisco's list here. So let me see. So you've got Trent Brown. It says number nine, you got Matt Paradis, who I think was, he, he broke his leg. He's a center for the Broncos. He's at uh, 12. Donovan Smith from the Bucks. I was—I think I'd love him. He's only about 25, and he's not great, but he's not terrible. You could put him at right tackle. Um, Juwan James from the Dolphins seems like a easy an easy play because, obviously, he just played for Adam Gase. I mean, assuming he wants to keep playing for Adam Gase, if he wasn't one of the guys... Um, mutinying in the locker room uh, but it seems like knowing them he could be a great right tackle for the team uh going a little further down the list uh, daryl williams from the panthers i don't know if he'll get re-signed by the panthers but you know he's another player there and there's a couple more but but uh, right i would say this is what agents are for right like i understand that there's no tampering and blah 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 and all that crap but uh, you know what if i'm if i'm a gm I'm probably going to try and play as fast as loose as I can, and I think most of these guys, by and large, do. That's what the Senior Bowl's for. That's what the combines for, right? Go talk to the agents, take them out to uh, you know, take them out to the the steakhouse. Uh, what is it, um, Saint Elmo's? Right. Find a quiet table and say, okay, what does Juwan James you know want if he wants to come for the Jets? And you know, they say, okay, fifteen million a year. Okay, great, we can do that. Right. And then it's like we already have that set up ahead of, you know, the the true, you know, tampering period. And so so my point is a good GM and a good and a good organization should already be having those back channel conversations. And if they're not, then good for them. They're being virtuous. But you know what? All the other teams are tampering. So. You might as well tamper too. It's
1: funny when you said Saint Elmo's, all I could think of was Saint Elmo's fire. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) no, when you were living in DC, I bet you had that like sweet loft apartment with the uh, like the glass, (laughs) the the glass cubes, like Rob Lowe had. Yeah, oh yeah, I I believe it. I believe it.
1: I wish I had almost anything in common with Rob Lowe other than some of the things he got in trouble for back in the 80s. Besides right. that, I wish I shared a bank account. Space. Jawline. Yes, a yeah, so yeah. line <laughs> Being able to age the way that Rob Lowe ages and on and on down the line. Yeah. Talent for acting, all these things I sure. wish I had that Rob Lowe has. But yeah, I... <laughs> I'm laughing now thinking about this, thinking about coming home to an apartment that's quality enough for Rob Lowe, yeah. who's a multimillionaire <laughs> to live
0: in. Wasn't <laughs> he like playing saxophone or something in that movie? I feel like he's playing saxophone. Someone's playing saxophone in on the fire. I can't remember. It's been a long time. Since.
1: It has been a while for me, but I still remember that theme and it just blasts in my head by John yeah. Carr, right? Mm, yeah.
0: Look at me of the little there. Da, 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 da. I don't know the words <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just like that that's
1: I wonder if it. the Jets are going to play that as a love song For Le'Veon Bell when they try to recruit him If yeah. they do, I wonder If it's going to close the deal What do you think, Brian? Are they going to land Le'Veon Bell? And do you uh, think that they should
0: try to? They've been signaling that they're not That interested, right? Like That's what's kind of been coming out um, I think Manish reported that I mean, again, take that for what it's worth uh, But, I But Here's what I'll say. Like, I think Le'Veon Bell on this team with this offensive line, you're not getting your money's worth. Now, Le'Veon Bell on this team with two quality tackles and a guard or something they pick up in the draft, like, well, okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Like, I think the Steelers have a pretty good line. I'm not going to go and say, like, the Steelers have the greatest line of all time, uh, but I certainly think that. Le'Veon Bell coming to this team with this line, you're not going to get the results that you that folks are expecting out of him. And a year from now, if they don't take care of the line, we're talking about what a bust Le'Veon Bell was as a draft pick. And so as a result, if I'm Mike McCagman, that's what I'm thinking about, because I know that my time is limited. I'm on the clock, whatever Chris Johnson says. Um, I better I better make some swings and and you know and and get some get some hits here because Le'Veon Bell's an amazing talent at the same time at a very replaceable and devalued position that's going to look bad for him. Uh, so, so I, I'm I'm torn on it. I would be happy with them making a move for him. I'm just not excited to hear if the Jets are going to make him the highest paid running back of all time. Like that's not the kind of offer I'd like them to make. I think for Le'Veon Bell. It makes the most sense for him to go to the Colts. Like it, they've got a, they've got a resurging offensive line. You've got Andrew Luck. They're, you know, primed for contention. Uh, they've got more cap room than the Jets. Uh, they can afford to spend on him. And so I think at the end of the day, I think he winds up on the Colts. Now, I, I don't know what their GM is saying. I'm just thinking to me, that makes the most sense. Or, I mean, I know San Francisco had just paid, uh, what's his name, McKinnon last year, but, um, you know, maybe maybe they make a play for for Bell here, and they find a way to scrape McKinnon's uh, ro- uh, money off their off their uh, salary cap.
1: What do you think about Bell's friend Antonio Brown as a possible trade option, or maybe AJ Green or something like that? Anybody on the trade market you like? That's a
0: good question. I mean, I've been obviously following this Antonio Brown story. I mean, he is doing his best to shoot his way out of town. But every time I see something on Roto World, then it's like, well, they'll probably just work it out in the end. And I I don't know if that's if that's what uh, Brown will do here. Like, I think he's trying to find his way to get himself off this team. And he's doing enough things talking about Ben Roethlisberger, you know, with an owner mentality and all this kind of thing that like. I just don't see how you bring him back. The interesting thing, though, about Brown that people aren't talking about, they talk about his salary cap hit and blah, blah, blah. And the Steelers saying, like, you know, we're not going to do things based on the cap. But I don't know. Like, if they want to make some moves in free agency, they would be wise to designate him or trade him after, like, in June, I think it is. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, like, you don't get the drafts capital of, you know, trading uh, Brown now. You have to wait until next year to use that draft pick. So I I think, like, the Steelers would have to fire sale Antonio Brown to get rid of him. And I don't know if they're willing to, you know, accept a third-round pick for Antonio Brown just for, you know, the uh, uh, the optics of, of how that looks to, to the wider league. Like, I think it just would look bad. But I think if 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 he could be had for a third round pick, oh my goodness, I would totally make that move. And you know what? You set him up with a, some sort of contract that is kind of a year-to-year thing because, I mean, he's demonstrated the fact that he is kind of, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Antonio Brown, but there are, there are some things happening. The, the thing about Antonio Brown, though, is he has, like, his career to date as even though he had like a slow start early on, like he could play much like Jerry Rice did. I'm not saying he's Jerry Rice. I'm just saying much like his career did, he could play well into his thirties. And so you look at someone like that, geez, he might have seven years left in this league. Like that's incredible. But the way he kind of injury history and all that sort of thing for him have played out so far, it's a possibility. So, uh, I mean, I don't know, like in terms of trades, The other thing I was thinking about is right if they could get a defensive end or they could trade for a running back. One of like I would love it if if they traded for Duke Johnson. Oh my goodness, like I would be thrilled because Duke Johnson is a three down back. He's basically now you know stuffed behind uh, Nick Chubb, and when Kareem Hunt comes back, assuming they don't immediately trade him, like Duke Johnson is buried on that on that Browns roster, but he is one of the most Productive players, as far as an out out of the backfield pass catcher, like oh, I would love to see Duke Johnson on on the Jets. Um, I think he would be an amazing, and eh, he's got a he's got a new deal last year, but it's not as painful as something like Le'Veon Bell's contracts uh, would be.
3: Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a sixty game sprint
1: I've talked about Duke Johnson as a pretty good backup option if they don't get Mm -hmm. Le'Veon Bell so I agree agree. with you on that I also think that you're 100% on target as far as Antonio Brown getting traded if he's going to get traded the Steelers would be insane to move him before June 2nd because like you said $21 million cap hit if he's dealt before then and a $7 million cap hit if he's Mm -hmm. dealt after then so if you want to be able to do some things you're going to have to make sure that you don't make that move too early because you're going to cripple your cap and it seems a little bit insane to me to spend 21 million dollars to get rid of one of the best players yes. in the
0: league i agree but i will say like i think you know no one is antonio brown I was in antonio brown right now but when you look at what juju smith schuster has done in two years in the league and you look at what james washington was doing at the end of last year like as the steelers you have to be pretty confident that going forward you're going to be just fine and, and, you know, they'll obviously keep James Connor, um, the running back who was kind of a tight end in fantasy. What's his name? Jalen Samuels. Uh, like he was, he was a decent player. They've got enough skill around Ben that they can still make it work. Maybe they, they try and bring in a, a free agent, a Devin Funches or something like that. I don't know. Um, but at the same time, like there's enough there that I think, I think they'll, they'll be fine.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to be fine, too, but mostly because the Steelers find a way to draft well, and I think that's what continues to make teams good is their ability to always find guys in the draft, not just in the first round, but in the mid to late rounds. That's something that Mike McKagan has had a lot of trouble doing. If the Jets want to turn this thing around, they're going to have to change that. We saw them with Christopher Herndon last year possibly finally hit on a guy in the mid-rounds. We don't know for sure, but the results early were promising. So we go into this draft now, and that's what McKagan's mission is going to have to be in addition to hitting on that number three pick or trading down and hitting on whatever pick they end up at. So let's talk about this. First of all, at number three. What would you be looking to do? Is there a player you like specifically? Would you like to move out? What do you think?
0: I mean, if Josh Allen or um, Bosa slide to three, like you take, you just don't even think. You just hand in the card. Uh, if Quinn Williams, the defensive tackle out of Alabama, is available, I don't know what I will do to myself. Like people are going to have to take away sharp objects like from me and and shoestrings and things. Like I'm going to be on watch because because if we draft another defensive tackle, like I. I mean, just think about the last 10 years and what we've done with our first round draft picks. And then think about how we've wasted them in, you know, shooting Muhammad Wilkerson out of town, in Quentin Coppels being a bust, in, uh, in Sheldon Richardson being shot out of town. Like, if we go get another defensive tackle, and we don't even love Leonard Williams, like, he's fine, he's great, he's good, whatever, we'll probably pay him his next deal. But, look. Like, if we get another defensive tackle in a first round pick, I'm going to scream. I'm going to scream. I, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> so what I would say is, if we're there at three and Bosa and Allen are off the board already, I see one of two things. My my sincere and fervent prayer is that we would trade back because there's enough teams probably trying to get ahead of the Raiders, maybe trying to get ahead of the um, uh, the Bucks um, and and the Giants. Right? I mean, you look at you look at four, five, six. You've got Raiders. Bucks, Giants. Those are all three teams that could potentially use quarterback. Uh, I don't know that uh, the the Cardinals would go would go quarterback one. Um, San Francisco probably won't go, go quarterback because they just paid Jimmy Garoppolo. So you know, with unless unless the Cardinals trade Rosen in the lead up to the draft, like there's no quarterback going ahead of the Jets unless the Cardinals or or Niners trade out of that position ahead of the draft, like like the Colts did last year. The Jets are in the position. Say what you want about Kyler Murray. Say what you want about Drew Locke. Say what you want about Dwayne Haskins. Like, I don't think those guys are anywhere near as talented as the first-round guys like that we saw this last year. That said, um, someone's going to want to like get, get frothed up, and they're going to want their quarterback. And so... Being at three, as as I see it now, things might change over the course of the combine and stuff, um, and the 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 lead up to the draft process. But I think the Jets are in a pretty good spot to trade back. And it, and if again, if Bosa and Allen are off the board, trade back, pick up an offensive tackle, Cody Ford, like pick up something like that because Byron Murphy from Washington, any of these guys, like pick up one of those guys a little further back. Um, and and then grab a you know grab the additional second rounder that we lost last year and kind of trading up to uh, to get to get Sam Darnold and and use that and kind of create this you know virtuous effect where now we've got more picks now we're moving back we're adding picks like if McTaggart wants to be here for the long term like it's time to not concentrate picks and trade away picks it's time to use picks and use them well and start kind of you know creating that. Uh, you know that that cycle where where picks are are you know be more picks, and so I think that starts with the third pick overall. So, if they can't trade back, if no one is willing to trade up with them, I I I just if they if they take Quinn Williams, I'll cry. I would love to see them reach reach for whatever player they feel like is going to make the most immediate impact on their team. Is that Jonah Williams? Is that Byron Murphy? Is that Cody Ford? Like, I don't know who it is, but just please don't make it a defensive tackle, please.
1: The only thing I'll say in their defense, if they do that is that Quentin Williams is awesome.
0: He is awesome. But like, we don't need like, like history has proven that taking defensive tackles, um, especially now that we're moving into a four, three, Like less valuable, just less valuable, uh, because the ends become more valuable in that scheme, uh, and and the tackles. I'm not saying there's no value to them, of course. You know, I mean, look at, look at what other teams around the leagues do with their tackles, but we've, we've had enough turns at bat with, with drafting defensive linemen, defensive tackles, uh, kind of interior players. Like that has not gotten us to, you know, deep into the playoffs. You know in the last 10 years so let's just let's just not do that anymore for a little while for a little while like you know we don't need to do that,
1: that a brief moratorium head. on defensive linemen
0: yes please yes <laughs> thank you i mean yeah defensive ends fine like that guy goes after the packer the goes after the um uh the quarterback but uh, i just these interior defensive linemen are not as valuable as the number three overall pick i'm sure clinton williams is great just not based on what the jets need i'm i'm i i I think i have over what's the word um overvalued best best player available um historically and now i'm realizing like best player available is good it's fine at the same time like not at the expense of making yourself relevant and and i think if they draft quinn and williams we're just back to drafting Leonard Williams all over again, which was a great pick when they did it. Don't get me wrong. But when you're looking at, okay, well, what do we do? We've got Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson pro bowl level players. And then we just drafted this guy. Now know we've got three kind of interior defensive linemen. Like, what are we doing? Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's just doing the same all over again. I can't, I can't do it again. Can't do it. Again.
1: Sorry. What about the mid to late rounds? Any players you like any positions you'd be looking to fill?
0: As insane as it may sound, like, I think wide receiver um, and, and running back, you know, are two areas where I would love to see them. And tight end. Like, I, I love what we saw out of Chris Herndon last year. Um, But from what I'm, I mean, it's early for me in this process. Like, it, I still have a lot of homework to do. But the early analysis of, of what I've seen is this is kind of a gross running back class. So spending a lot, like, trying to find your three-down running back in this draft class is going to be difficult. If you wanted to do that, you should have done that in the previous two years. The Jets haven't done that, so now they need to rely on free agency or trade, like as we were talking about with Duke Johnson or something like that, to to fill that position. So I, I wouldn't stress running back, but I also look at our wide receivers and I think we need help. Um, Paris Campbell, Ohio State um, uh, wide receiver. Uh he is like 6'1, 208, which is kind of perfect size, you know, just something that you could need that's kind of like an outside X receiver. Um, obviously, you know, had a great had a great 2018. Uh, I think he had 90 receptions. Ninety, yet yeah, 90 receptions wow. in college. Like, think about I mean, they 90 receptions in the NFL is great. They don't even play that many games in college and he had 90 receptions. So, like, he's a super productive player. Uh, I'm not sure how old he is, but yeah, I think that may be the one knock on him is he's probably 22, 23. Like, he's not a 21-year-old guy coming out, but but he's someone who I think you could have in the middle rounds, um, who I, I think the Jets, you know, they need to add to that. They need to find... I love, I love Quincy Nunwell, but they need to add to Sam Darnold's arsenal uh, of, of talented players, and so Paris Campbell's probably someone... I mean, we'll see how, how he tests, but um, but he would be someone I'm, I'm kind of early eyeing. Yeah. The, the other thing I would say is I think tight end apparently, like we'll see what happens at the combine, but people are already saying that this could be like a, a bumper crop for tight ends. So while I love what we've seen from Chris Hernan, I would not be opposed to them using late pick on, on another tight end just so they add that value so they could use them for two tight end sets, find a versatile player who's going to go later in this draft. Who might otherwise be a third or fourth round pick in another class, uh, but is just pushed down in priority just based on positional strength.
3: Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast and with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020- 2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the
1: Overtime Podcast Network. I think that what they really need to look at is finding a way to get the two best offensive linemen they can with their two third-round picks. I would change the strategy a little bit if a player that I really like slipped, but I think I would go into it with the idea that I'm going to get the best two offensive linemen I can possibly find because I think the free agent crop is kind of thin, and even if the Jets are going to be able to get by with largely what they had last year, meaning winters and Beecham and shell. Obviously we know that they're going to need a new center and at least one new guard. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that they're going to need somebody that's going to be able to step in pretty close to right away. And then another guy that at the very least is going to be ready to take over the following year. So I think the offensive line has been neglected Way too long by this regime. They haven't used any major capital to try and fix it. The highest pick that they've used has been a fifth rounder, which they drafted Brandon Schell with. So that's what I would be looking to do is do that in the third round. I just don't think there's anybody good enough. If they trade down in the first round, I guess, maybe. But I don't think there's anybody good enough to justify picking at number three. And there are too many other players that are better than the offensive linemen available at that spot. But with the two third round picks or listen – Even package them up and go up into the second round if there's an offensive lineman you really believe in. But you've got to make investments on that offensive line. I'd also be looking at corner in the third or fourth Mm -hmm. round, too, because I think that that's another area that they've neglected quite a bit. They thought that the answer to that was spending like crazy in 2015 on Buster Screen and Darrell Revis and Antonio Cromartie. And funny enough, the only one who survived for a long period of time was Screen. (laughs) Everybody thought he was kind of the third guy, but he's the one that stuck around for a while. But the highest investment they made was Perry Nickerson last year in the fourth round, who, by the way, was a 24-year-old rookie. So I just think that those are areas that they've neglected for far too long. And if the Mm -hmm. Jets want to get back on track, they're going to have to start going about fixing them. It's not going to be an easy or quick fix, Brian. As you know, it's not going to yeah. be like 2006 where the Jets said, hey, Nick Mangold, DeBrigasheil Ferguson, presto. But they're going to have to work with what they've got and try and slow build this offensive line back up because, quite frankly, it's at best when they're firing on all cylinders – slightly below average and I guess you can get <laughs> by on that in the short run but in the long run they've yeah. got to take some steps to fix this. So that's what I, I would I agree.
0: do. No, I think that's right. And I mean you think about, you know, the Jets offensive line and how great they were once upon a time. Like that was a 3-year process. Like I don't think people remember that, right? Like so mm-hmm. they drafted Debrickishaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold in 06. 2 years, um we have kind of a P Kendall stuff in 07. Uh, and then, you know, he Kendall's gone, I think in '08 they bring in, um, Alan Fanica and Damian Woody, right? And that mm-hmm. was when the line solidified. So it was, right, it was three years, two draft picks and two very high priced free agents, um, at the time, um, that, that basically made that line what it was for the next, you know, set the pace and then obviously Alan Fanica, you know, retired or whatever after a couple of years, but, um, and, and Woody too, but, but the, the point is it was really, it it wasn't until that, that third year that those guys really all came together. And so I think you look at the Rams, you think about Jared Goff, you think about when they drafted Todd Gurley and then they, they kind of went through the upgrade process. It's been three years and they're now one of the best lines, but it takes three years to your point. So, so maybe, if you go out and get some free agents and, you know, some you overpay some guys, fine, whatever, but they're solid quality players, maybe on the, you know, the back half of their career, but are still, you know, linemen can play well, you know, past 30. So you get those guys and then you draft, as you say, one or two guys I mean, that quickly upgrades your team, but it's still going to be a year or two until those, you know, those rookies are contributing in any serious, you know, all pro kind of level way. So, so yeah, I'm with you. I I think, I think you have to mix it. And I I really think they, that has to be an area of priority for this team. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would say you're, there's enough interesting wide receivers. Uh, I'm kind of waiting to see how everybody tests. But, you know, kind of go, going back to that, you know, I think, you know, J.J. J.J.R. the whiteside is another player I was thinking about. And then Debo Samuel from South Carolina. Like, those are all guys who could be had on mm, the second day of the draft. And, right, if you trade back from three and you take an offensive lineman and then you get a second or a third-round pick, like, those are players that you might be able to get on, on day two, one of those players, and then you find some more depth, right? And, you know, I, my hope is that, they, yeah, they're going to – Find ways to build the offense, you know, quickly uh, around Sam Darnold because I think you and I both agree. Like we think Sam Sam Darnold's the truth. So why are we wasting time at this point, right? Like, don't waste time. Get moving and give him the team he needs to to make some uh, make some runs into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a matter of building the program over the long haul, like you said. I mean, I hate to belabor this point because I've said it many times, but you look at what Eric Mangini did. He walked in here, the first thing he did, okay, let's fix the offensive line. So he took major steps and brought in Mangold and the Rick of Shaw Ferguson, and it turned out to not be quite enough. And so two years later, they went out and they got Fannick and Woody, oh. right? You look at what they wanted to do at cornerback. Well, the following year, it was Revis. They went out and they got their guy there, so they fixed that spot. Then they went out and they got David Harris, so that fixed the inside linebacker spot. Then they went out and the following year tried to finally fix that <laughs> pass rush situation. Oh. And to be fair, they were the ones that created it by trading Abraham. They missed. Let's be honest. Oh, Vernon yeah. Golston is the biggest bust in the history of the franchise. But at least they tried to do it. So that's how you build a program. And I haven't really seen that out of McCagnin. It just seems like he goes into these drafts with no real rhyme or reason, just picking guys that are whatever rated on his board. And I understand you don't want to necessarily draft for need, but you also have to plug holes and figure out where pieces fit. And it just seems like McCagnin never really does that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's exactly right. I, I would say McCagnin is opportunistic. I will credit him with that at the same time what i will not credit him with is any serious plan right in terms of that seems to be foundationally building from one level to the next right like where okay we're foundationally building the defensive line and we're foundationally building the corners and like that, or we're foundationally working on the offensive line or any of those kinds of things. It's just like, well, who's available. Okay. Uh, Isaiah Crowell. Yeah. We can get him cheap. Like that sounds good. Uh, right. Like it's, it's just this kind of pulling things out of the air rather than seeing a, a kind of plan, right. A, a structured plan come together and then be executed. I agree with you. It's just, Oh, we, we, we got that guy. Okay. All right. I I guess that'll be fine. Like, sure. But yeah, right. I mean, and I think the best the best example to me of that was the class. I guess it was was it two years ago when they drafted Ardarius Stewart and Chad Hansen and you know a bunch of uh, you know the safeties and it's like they kind of just flooded the market or flooded the field on wide receivers and defensive backs and they're like, well, we'll just kind of see what sticks, right? And and it was it just felt like it was a wasted draft. <laughs> because of like, and like, don't get me wrong. I love Jamal Adams, uh, you know, and and uh, and Mark smith great. Like, I love those players, and they those have turned out right. But like, I looked at that overall, like the way the draft played out. I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, what what are we working towards here? I don't I don't see it right. And so I think like that's kind of what you're talking about and seeing that systematic thing. It's like it's just kind of random things happening that seem to be you know within within grasp. This is the Overtime Podcast
2: Network.
1: Yeah, no question. And they're going to have to change that if they want to be successful and get some players in here to play in the new uniforms that are going to be successful. So let's talk about the new uniforms, Brian. You and I were talking about this before we started recording. We're older Jets fans, so we seem to not be as invested in this as some of the younger fans. But what do you think? Are you excited about these new uniforms? And what color scheme are you looking at? What do you think would be the right move?
0: If you want to have street cred, and 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 the answer is not Kelly Green, like I don't know what you're doing. Like I think Kelly Green, '80s retro kind of Kelly Green gets everybody's juices flowing. So I, you got to say Kelly Green. Um, <laughs> that said, at the same time, like you know, I I, I I I don't know. I have fond memories of you know kind of childhood thinking about those Kelly Green uniforms, but in terms of you know what they actually look like. I I just don't care. Like I just don't care because I I they could wear pink. They could wear uh I don't know. They could they could basically have a um I don't know a biplane instead of a jet. Like I I don't I don't care. Like I just want them to win ten or twelve games. Like can we can we do that? Like that is more important to me. And like all this other stuff, the uniforms. It's like. It's just people selling me stuff that I don't need or don't really care about. Like, I'm sure the players love to look cool and love to look like they're, you know, you know, you know, it may- gives them more swagger to be in a cool uniform. Um, It's a green and white uniform, you know, based off the Hess colors, you know, from from the Hess family. So and, you know, their mascot is a. A you know supersonic aerospace device that everybody has has traveled on and been with um you know been sat next to someone with a uh, an expansion lap belt and a and a uh, courtesy dog so you know at this point like jets are not that great of a thing uh in terms of like what they were in the sixties versus what they are now so I'm going I'm spinning way out to say. I just don't care because I'm probably not going to buy the new jersey anyway. So like I just I (laughs) uh, it's just it's just an opportunity to make me spend more money for a team that I need to see. I will will happily start spending money on this team when they can consistently win 10 to 12 games. I will I will buy jerseys all over the place for my whole family, for my Patriots, my Patriots um, uncle and my Patriots cousins, you know, fans, friends. Like I will buy jerseys all day long if the Jets can win 10, 12 games. But until they do that, I do not care about the New Jersey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Haven't won a division title since 2002. So, yeah, I'm a little more concerned about something like that than I am about the jerseys. Although I do respect the fact that people seem so invested in this. So I do hope that it turns out that the jerseys aren't ugly and that they're nice to look at. I don't know that they're necessarily going to lead to a culture change, but I guess we can hope. Look, when Bill Parcells came in, he changed the jerseys. I would say correlation and causation are not the same there, but listen, it's all (laughs) we got at this point, right?
0: (laughs) That's fair. Right. And I guess, right. There is that like, Hey, if it makes you feel good, you know, act as if, and, um, you know, you know, Uh, dress for the job you want and, uh, you know, fake it till you make it and all that. Fine. Great. If that, if that makes uh, Jamal Adams play better and that makes, I don't know, uh, makes Darren Lee not miss tackles or get, you know, get, get blown by when he's trying to protect a a tight end. Awesome. Great. You know, like let's, let's, let's do it then. If if that's going to, that's going to be the difference. Like let's, let's get on it. But, <laughs> <laughs> I'm more worried about them drafting well and spending well in free agency as I think as I think we've we've spent the time. But I know that Paulie's very uh He's very invested on
1: the jerseys. So. <laughs> he's so on edge about it that he refuses to talk about it. He lifted the ban very briefly to talk about it on the roundtable with me. But besides <laughs> that, he has banned all discussion on the jerseys until they get revealed because he just doesn't want to deal with getting his hopes up oh. at this point. He's going to be like a little kid on Christmas. Yeah. He's either going to come downstairs and be super excited that he got a pony or he's going to be upset that grandma got him some tube socks.
0: Well, you know, it's healthy, and I will say to Pauly's credit, that is a sign of of maturity, right? If he's if he's saying like, listen, this is getting me all you know worked up and you know animated and anxious and you know all that kind of thing, like I'm just going to not talk about it because like I am as a as a 42 year old now, like I'm a firm believer. In, like fear of missing out rules my life. Like that's just kind of who I am as a person. Like there's always awesome people doing great stuff that I don't get to do uh at the same time like joy of missing out is is real and and i'm learning as as now you know a man into my my fifth decade like it's pretty great like it's pretty great to just turn off what's going on you know on facebook or you know twitter or you know cnn or just whatever like wherever you're going and things that are driving you crazy so if this is driving paulie crazy and he just doesn't want to deal with it like kudos to him it shows maturity so well done paulie
1: all I know is right now Paulie is in a good Place because Sasha Banks and Bailey won the WWE women's tag Team titles nice. so he doesn't Want to bring himself down from that high right. By worrying about the jerseys so Let right. Paulie be in his happy place And hopefully that's the jerseys good. make him and Everybody else happy <laughs> I agree With you I think it's a sign of maturity Don't get all excited don't get all Worked up just let it play out and then If they disappoint you you can get mad if You want because right. that's pretty yes. much what we've learned To do as Jets fans we that's go true. into to the season, I think Dennis Leary used to call it Irish optimism. You almost hope for the worst so that if the best happens, you can be pleasantly surprised.
0: (laughs) Won't let you down. Stoicism is a good a good uh, life
1: philosophy, so I love it. 100%, and that is what we're going to do as we approach free agency, the draft, and the rest of the offseason. Brian Bassett, the godfather. Just when they thought he was out, we pulled him back in. I gotta no, no, no. say, I'm glad that I pestered him for like six months on DMs mm-hmm. and got him to come out of retirement, because there's always next year, became one of my favorite Jets podcasts, just as I knew that it would. I missed the old podcast with you and Corey, but Corey comes mm-hmm. in and does guest spots here and there, and it's great to have mm-hmm. you and Josh. And Travis who cracks me up all the time And I just hope that his liver Survives this offseason But I'm glad that you guys are doing the show And I'm glad that you're a part of Turn on the Jets Network Like I said, none of us would be doing this without you You are the godfather The one that leads the trail for all of us So Brian, thanks so much for joining me On this episode of the Roundtable, man For anybody that wants to interact with you Or anything like that, Mm -hmm. where can they find you?
0: Yeah, uh, Twitter Brian underscore Bassett Two S's, two T's, find me there um, I am slowly but surely in all of my zero time spare time um, working on a. Hey, here's what we should do ahead of free agency as we kind of head into the draft for JetsFix. Um, my old co-editor from um, from the Jets Blog, Bent, who still writes at the Jets Blog. Uh, he also has another site called JetsFix. So check out his awesome work and the awesome community of commenters at JetsFix. That's JetsFix.com. So check that out and hopefully in the next week, I'll drop something there. Um, yeah. So, but I, I need to, I need to make time for that and stay up late to, uh, to do some writing. But thank you. This has been great. I, I really appreciate you kind of pulling, pulling on my, uh, my sleeve and saying, Hey, come on. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's do this. It's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. And yes, yeah, it's, it, it's given me, a, you know, lots of time to talk with two of my favorite people, Josh and Travis, as you said. Uh, And so, yeah, we're, we're excited to, we'll, I'm sure we'll spin something up as, as the draft approaches or combine and free agency. So, so stay tuned. I'm sure there'll be more in the feed. So look out for that.
1: As Bart Scott would say, can't wait. Looking forward to the next edition of There's Always Next Year. Whenever that drops, I think it could happen sometime around when free agency gets into high gear. I have a feeling that Travis, Josh, and Brian are all going to have some stuff to say about whatever it is the Jets do. So make sure that you're on the lookout for that. And thank you for listening. Be back with another roundtable tomorrow. But in the meantime, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets content and podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.